Welcome to episode 44 of the Thunder Underground podcast. My name is Trent, and I'm joined by Jason. Hello, good evening. Good evening. Well, what if someone's listening to this at 9 a.m.? Well, then good morning, good afternoon, good afternoon and good, and good night. Now we're the fucking Truman Show. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we got that covered. Yeah, check us out at thethunderunderground.com. Hit us up on our so- all our social medias, like us, follow us, whatever it requires. We're also now on Periscope, by the way. Thunder Underground, all one word. We haven't live-streamed anything yet, but look out. Maybe here in the next week or two, you'll see us... You never know. ...getting crunk, or whatever that is the kids say. Oh, my God. I'm not getting crunk. You can okay. get crunk. But we did, have an, we did have an idea for a Periscope, you know. Oh, we're having a big Iron Maiden after party, so maybe that. Uh, I'm sure whenever we interview somebody we'll throw on the periscope so uh you know be on the lookout for that kind of stuff well first things first recently the whatever annual grammys aired (laughs) i don't know the number doesn't really matter doesn't it's the grammys and we bring this up because you know this is a hard rock and metal podcast and of course there's a metal category yes they're always, they're not, I'm going to say always has been, there has been since like 1990. Now, is it hard rock and metal, or is it just metal, or did they change it at some point? They changed it at some point, and for a few years it was a bastardized category that was both of them together. Okay. So it basically alienated like everybody. Yeah. And it would have like Foo Fighters in with Slayer, which, you know, are both great bands, but... How is Slayer going to win a metal category when Foo Fighters is in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make sense, and that's just par for the course of how out of touch this oh, stuff is, right? Yeah, completely. Well, uh, last year, it's a case in point, uh, Tenacious D won Best Metal, and they're, and it was an acoustic song, because they're, they're pretty much all acoustic most of the time. Well, they have some distorted guitars. Well, yeah, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. And it was a cover song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they knew that, they themselves knew that it was kind of stupid, and they kind of made fun of it themselves, so that's good. Right. Well, the the point of bringing this up is, it's like, this year is one of the rare years where all five nominees made sense, I think. Okay. You had a little bit of something from everything. Yeah. You know, we're not big fans of August Burns Red, by any means, but it's a... You know, it's a metal band that attracts a younger audience. And then you've got the, you know, the Slipknot, Lamb of God, Seven Dust, you know, that covers, you know, all age groups. Yes. Then you've got Ghost, who is, you know, a newer band that has a lot of critical acclaim. And, of course, no matter who wins these things, you're going to bitch, I'm going to bitch, everybody else is going to bitch, you know, about something. We both like Ghost, and they won. Yes. But, of course, they're a very polarizing band. Very. And a lot of people don't like them. So, I mean, of course, everybody's like, you know, why did this band win this award whenever, you know, Lamb of God is, you know, better, and they've been around this long, and they haven't won. And same with Seven Dust, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, I mean, you... you, 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 stuttering here but you kind of know going into this thing (laughs) who's gonna who's probably gonna win this thing and it was ghost or slipknot 
right? Oh yeah, with an I, outside I, chance of Lamb of God. <laughs> I knew I knew that Ghost was probably going to win it because they're getting the critical acclaim. They're the they're the the band from our uh, ilk that is like on the Coachellas and the Bonnaroos and you know the Rolling Stone and all that horse shit. And uh, so I had a pretty good inkling that they would win. I mean. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree with some rumblings out there. I mean, are, are they exactly metal? Maybe not. Maybe there's a case for that. Uh, there's metal elements. I think there's definitely more metal elements in like their first album. But you know, for whatever reason, I, I but at the same token, I kind of see where it can be categorized as metal. And so I just I had a feel i you know if yes these things don't mean anything the grammys have no clue uh you know they don't know their ass from a hole in the ground uh, so it's kind of weird to make this argument but you know as a music geek you just can't help it right and, and if anyone was to win anything it really would have liked to have seen seven dust get some kind of accolade it would have been a good uh, calling card of feather in their cap for them yeah in, in in the industry and, and all that, I really I really kind of wish they would have made it. Uh, to be honest with you, and uh, so that's kind of my take. Uh, I've got a I, I don't know really where we're going with this yet, but I, I've I've got a whole take on the Grammys and award shows in general that I think we said we were going to talk about. Right. It's just you know ever since I was a kid. It just, I've liked award shows even. Hell, I watched the Tonys once. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Everybody out there, keep that under your hat. But I just have this thing, you know, it's like that campy, uh, like nostalgic thing in me. I just like award shows. So I just end up watching these damn things, even if I want to or not. I'm not proud of it. I don't like it, but I can't help it. So anyways, that that's kind of my view on the whole thing. Well, I think... Uh... The major point is, is that everyone knows that, you know, this isn't even on the award show, the metal category. Exactly. It wasn't you know, even televised. Yeah. It's part of the pre-awards or whatever that they do. Like, you know, it used to just be like a thing for, you know, you would find out later, that kind of thing. But yeah. now in this day and age, it's streamed live, you know, so you can watch it. But it's just all the categories that they think don't matter pretty much probably yeah and what's funny <laughs> is those are usually the categories that really do matter <laughs> right in, in if we're talking you know art and songwriting and honesty and all that one well, and besides not you know <clears throat> it not airing it's also been throughout history which i say since you know throughout history what's this now 26 years i guess <laughs> and it started in 90 They've made a, a point of not proving that they don't know what the fuck they're doing because every, you know, this, like I said, this year, you know, they did a better job. But every year there's some classic band with a live song nominated. <laughs> and yeah. and I looked back because I remember Ozzy winning once for something. And I looked back and Ozzy won for I Don't Want to Change the World live version. Oh, I remember that. And then Black Sabbath won for a live version of Iron Man. Like yeah. ten years ago, and a song that came out thirty years before that, or yeah. whatever it is now. And, and, but they don't give a shit about their new stuff, right? And then yeah, it's then Judas Priest won for a live song, yeah. an old song, and then going off that, Motorhead won one once 
for a cover of Whiplash. Yeah. Then last year, like you said, Last in Line cover, you know, by Tenacious D. But yes, guess what? There's exactly. four other songs nominated, and one of them was Anthrax with the cover song with Neon Knights. And <laughs> yeah. guess what? The year before that, Anthrax was nominated for their cover of TNT. And then, I think it was that year that Hellstorm won the category over <laughs> Anthrax, Megadeth, <laughs> Iron Maiden, and Marilyn Manson. So they beat out four actual metal bands, you know. And, and Hellstorm is just more of a rock band. Yeah, they're just a hard rock band. Yeah. So it's just kind of like... Like we said, it doesn't mean anything, but at the end of the day, I mean, I know, you know, I saw a lot of stuff on Seven Dust social media, and they were proud of the fact they were nominated, and good for them. Like we said, we wish they'd won, because oh, they, they should be. Yeah, they deserve, they deserve to be awarded and recognized. You know, so I know it means something to artists, but it's it's still just, you know, proven throughout the years that these guys don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> just like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, you've got, uh, yeah... Uh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> well, that's, uh, I was going to kind of bring that up because, you know, like you mentioned a minute ago, you always watch these things. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I used to always watch them, but I just quit because I'm like, fuck this, fuck everything about it. <laughs> and I can't do it. And even whenever, like this year, you know, the Hollywood vampires were on there yeah. paying tribute to Lemmy. I'm like, I'm not going to watch that because... Fuck the Grammys. Why should I, you know, do what everybody sets around and bitches about the Grammys and then all over my Facebook is all these people bitching about the Grammys but sitting there fucking watching. <laughs> so fuck you, you hypocrites. Oh, shit. Not you. I'll let you slide. <clears throat> you know. Hey, I'm in that. I'm a hypocrite. I'm, right. So fuck you for getting mad at me. <laughs> well, like, I and I read some, I read a lot of people that loved it and I've read a lot of people that thought it was bad. You know, I'm talking about the Hollywood vampires thing. Yeah, And it wasn't really geared at Alice Cooper or even Johnny Depp. It was more geared at Joe Perry and Matt Sorum, you know, just because they're out of place doing Motorhead stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure Johnny Depp being in the band is probably the only real reason that the Grammys had had them on there doing this. That's definitely the only reason. But, you know, I mean, it's good to see something like that, that getting exposure like that. But at the same time... There's a million other bands doing tributes to Motorhead every other night at a show. Yeah. It's ten times better than this probably was. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I didn't see it. I probably never will. My favorite band, Guns N' Roses, went to Hall of Fame like four years ago now, and I still haven't even watched that. So I haven't watched it. You know, because fuck the Hall of Fame. That's right. And I'm, you know, I'm borderline this year. I, like, really want to see Deep Purple, because Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale are in there, up yeah. there, and they deserve it. But still, at the same time, I probably won't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> help it uh, when when uh, Metallica got inducted. I had to watch it. Yeah, you watched it at my house. Yeah, that's right. Watch that's, it at your house. That's, that's the last time. time. That's the last time I've ever watched I, a rock and roll. Film. I had to watch. I couldn't <laughs> help it. And even though the rock hall sucks, you know, I got a little choked up. So I don't know what the fuck do I know? I don't know anything. Hey, Cliff's dad was up there. It was all that true? Was... And I think as far as them, you know, if they messed up or they sucked, I don't know. I think. It was hard for me to tell. It was hard to hear really what was going on all the way because, you know, when rock bands are on TV, the sound always sucks. And I don't think it's their fault. It's just they don't know how to get that intensity across over the airwaves. True. Because most of the time it's... It's probably not their sound guy or anything. Yeah, it's pop or rap bullshit that's just played over a tape anyways. 
Right. So it, it's yeah, it, it's it's tough for a rock band to be on TV, you know, if it's Letterman or Fallon or the Grammys or whatever. So, I mean, it sounded pretty muddy, but I didn't know if that was them or if that was just the sound. As far as Matt Sorum, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think he's got every fucking right to be up there playing the Motorhead song. He filled in for Mickey D uh, for like a year, uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, on a whole tour. So, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I thought it was cool. There's a lot of fire. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know... Um, uh, just a, a big spectacle, and you know I liked uh, seeing. You know they had Lemmy's bass and his rig and his boots and his hat set up there. Um, so I mean it was cool. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean I, I had I had to watch it, so I watched it and then I went to bed. <laughs> you know, so I mean I was kind of indifferent on the whole thing, anyways. And I think you're totally right about Johnny Depp. Uh, if he wasn't involved in this project, they wouldn't have gave two shits. So, and, and that's the truth. Which, you know, on a side note, that's a great album. Their album from last year, we talked about it. Oh, it is a great album. We People talked about it on it now. the best of 2015. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's all covers, you know, right? Wasn't it? Or most of it. Yeah. And uh, they're actually supposed to be working on something new now, which I don't know if it's all covers again, because that's what the whole concept of the... The Hollywood vampire thing was yeah. with Alice Cooper was paying tribute to all his friends that have died, you know, throughout the years. Yeah. So I don't know if the next time is going to be more covers or if they're working on some original, but I know they're, they've got a, two or three gigs lined up. You know, that'd be a really cool band to be able to see live, too. That would be really cool. Well, does that cover hashtag the Grammy suck ass? Or, yes, or I, th I think it does. I think it does, and I think it covers hashtag Trent probably pissed a lot of people off. <laughs> but I'm still cool, so keep listening just for me and fuck him, you know, whatever. There you go. Well, let's get into this episode 44 right now. episode episode 43 the main subject was books and we talked about a lot of the books that we love yes that have to do with you know obviously hard rock and metal okay you know we covered a lot of that stuff and i happened to see just recently that there's a book coming out later this year that's authorized by metallica that is the uh complete in-depth story of behind the making of master of puppets so did you see this news yeah. i assume you did yes okay you know it, it's funny you bring this up and i always like these uh surprises you throw at me <laughs> after the day after we recorded that and talked about it i was thumbing through the phone and i saw a thing about that and i'd seen something about it quite a while back and i saw something about it, and I was like, oh, fuck, there's that. I could have talked about that, but it had been so long, I totally forgot about it. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I've read about it, I've heard about it, um, and I mean, you know, I'm definitely going to go get it. Yeah, it made it sound, you know, it said that Metallica's, you know, working directly with the author, you know, and he's done this kind of thing before. I get, I think he did a, 
a complete, you know, behind the scenes take on the first Jaws movie or something. Okay. Completely out of music, but you know, I mean, he's got uh, what's the word? Cred, I guess. You know, as far as this kind of in depth stuff goes. Yeah. And you know, it's pretty. You know, I guess anything that is always, you know, where the actual subjects working with you on it, you know, is going to be better. Yeah. Rather than just some unauthorized take on, hey, this is what might have happened, or I talked to some guy that was in the studio for a day. So, you assume this is going to be a good read based off of that? I mean, I don't know. Oh, it's got to be. And, and Metallica is authorizing it, and they they don't put their name on just anything. Right. And they're very uh, meticulous about what what they authorize and endorse and what they put their name on and all that. So, uh, it's either they dig it, or if they don't and you're doing it, they'll fucking sue you. <laughs> you know? So... Uh, it's it's gonna you know it's gonna be uh, up to snuff there, and uh, I mean I'll definitely check it out. I'm the kind of guy, you know, I'm so rabid fanboy about that band. I'd want to see a book about every album. Yeah, I, I would. You know, well maybe if this is a huge success, maybe they'll just pop up with one for Black or Kill 'Em All or yeah. whatever. You know, Kill 'Em All for me that yeah. would be that would be amazing. I would love that. And there's kind of one. I mean, for if you know, if we're gonna get into Metallica geekery again, which I'm always for, uh, there's kind of one for some kind of monster. The movie Insane Anger, uh, that's a polarizing album, of course. But if you're a fan, there's a book that kind of spans that. So, anyways, so mm-hmm. I yeah, but yeah, this Master of Puppets, uh, uh, yeah, I'll I'll be uh, I'll be there first day it comes out for sure. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out because that's my favorite Metallica album. Yes. By far, so. Yes, it's an epic one. I'd love to read that. And also in Metallica, I just saw that they are, in April, releasing, did you see the remastered versions of Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning? No, I did not see this. This news just broke. Uh, Okay. Apparently. And uh, I guess they're re-releasing them in all formats, like you can buy single discs and then you can buy like four LPs. You know, vinyl, you can buy whatever. It's coming out on Record Store Day, but it's both albums and it's got all kind of extra content. I was about to ask, what kind of extras does it have? It's supposedly unheard stuff, and then I guess the original tapes. I don't know. Oh, wow. It was tons of tons of really? stuff. So this got me thinking, you know, because obviously Metallica now for the past couple of years has complete control of their catalog. Yes. And they're doing it with the first two albums, so you assume that means the other albums will follow. Yeah. So that means then Injustice for All might get remastered. Yeah, it could. And I've always, this is something I've always thought for years now, that or the last few years whenever album sales have really declined, you know. Metallica, obviously, if they come out with the new albums, it's going to sell a lot more albums than most bands. Yeah. Regardless, even if album sales are down. But if they re-released a remastered version of Injustice for All with the bass ladder, they could probably go gold. Yeah, oh yeah, and the sound in this era, which would be unheard of. You know? Yeah, people people would buy that shit right quick. Yeah, because you know people, you know, would be clamoring to hear that. You know, yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, I would be. So, I would be. Yeah, so let's hope that happens, right? Yeah, yeah. You never know. <laughs> and uh, another side note, I thought I would point out whenever I was looking back on those Grammy things earlier, I saw that Metallica's won 
I think, six times now. Yeah. More than anybody. And you remember the one thing most people always bring up when they're bitching about it is Jethro Tull beating Metallica. Yeah. And then the three years after that, Metallica won three years in a row. So it's like <laughs> that's the Grammys trying to say, oh, you know, we're sorry here. And one of those was their cover of Stone Cold Crazy. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're sorry. <laughs> we do like you. We do know about you. Right. <laughs> and another random note, Megadeth has been nominated nine times more than anybody, and they've never won. Now, that's, that's horse shit right there. Right. But not to bring up that crap again. Oh, yeah. We're, we're <laughs> getting off on tangents way too early in the episode. Right. Well, we're talking about Metallica, which is the Bay Area, San Francisco. Yes. And we would like to play a song for you from a band that is out of San Francisco. Hell yes. And this band is called the Road Vikings. And this song we're going to play is called Requiem of an Outlaw Biker.
Requiem of an Outlaw Biker by the Road Vikings. And that's just one of the, that right there is just one of those songs that the name of the band and the name of the song just describes everything you just heard. Oh, no kidding. Very well. You don't have to wonder what this is going to be, yeah. what this is going to sound like. And it's, it's just great. You know, harmonica, heavy guitars, you know, soaring vocals, just all kinds, you know, and it's just, you know, dirty, gritty biker metal. Then it like has this huge ass long kick ass solo. Then it just then it goes into like this power metal section yeah, for yeah, the last minute or two. I know. Which is not truly because you know it's still got dirty guitars, but just the style of the guitar and then his the feel. voice. Yeah. 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 And I mean I know you said you what you said it reminded you of the guy from Primal Fear. Yeah, you know? I had some uh, Rolf <laughs> Sheepers going on in that middle section where it's yeah. a little power metally. You know, it, it, hashtag power medley. Um, <laughs> it it kind of kind of reminds me of that. You know, it, it, this song, uh, this is definite, definite biker whiskey roadhouse. Starts out bluesy with the harmonica. I mean, I I was inspired. I went out and bought a fucking motorcycle. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, not really, but anyways, you get you get what I'm trying to say. And, you know, and then it just kind of flips the script and goes into this kind of classic metal, power metal kind of gallop and with the, with the, the priesty primal fears type vocals, it's a really cool song, really cool track. Uh, it's diverse. So, um, you know, like I always say, we're really glad we could play it for everybody today. Yeah. And, uh, anytime your, your vocalist has a, Viking helmet and sunglasses on on stage, that can't be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, take all my money. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, just search, just type in the Road Vikings on Facebook. These guys will pop up, like them, and follow them. You know, they've got tons of songs, and they're all kick-ass. You know, I listened to these guys earlier. Love all of it. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah, great stuff. Very cool sound and very cool vibe. So what well, next we got going? Well, I saw Igor. It said, well, it, it listed it as Max Cavalera and Igor Cavalera. Yeah. Everything I saw, which I assume that would mean Cavalera Conspiracy. Yeah, that's what I figure. Because if they're, I'm sure Mark Rizzo is going to be playing guitar. Okay. So you, that's basically Cavalera Conspiracy. <clears throat> they're going on tour later this year and they're doing Roots in its entirety. That's epic. Yes. Which is just totally badass. You know, I know we're both huge fans of that album. You know, there's several songs of that that you never get to hear live. So it'd just be cool as hell. I hope this comes somewhere near us where we can go. Oh, yeah. And then I also saw that, you know, you, you sent me the dates the other day that Fear Factory's going on tour with Soil Work opening. Yes. Which is just amazing in itself. Oh, yeah. And then to top it off, Fear Factory's playing Demanufacture in its entirety. I know. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. Just the bill, but then that they're doing that album in its entirety. I, I'm, I'm, I really like that trend of bands doing that. And I mean, this, and you know, I was thinking it would be badass to have Fear Factory and the Cavalier Conspiracy thing together doing that. Oh God, yeah. I think my head would explode, <laughs> yeah. dude. You know. Yeah, those were two albums during that period in the mid '90s that just like oh struck a chord, man. Yeah, just yeah. wore me the hell out. I mean. You know, I mean, I wore them the hell out, sorry. And, like, Fear Factory's kind of a, one of the bands that 
put me, you know, got me into, even, you know, I was always into heavy stuff, you know, metal stuff. And yeah. The classic stuff and then the Panteras and all the stuff that was coming in like that. Yeah. But Fear Factory is the first one that kind of put me over the top into like that really, you know, growly vocal. Yes, yes. And it was because, you know, he was doing it both ways, you know, and he's one of the first guys I know of that was doing that where he was growling and then singing. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, the first time I heard self-biased resistor, I just was blown away. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, set me into that route to where I got into all that stuff later on. And then of course, Sepultura was around the same time I got in them pretty late, you know, and you know, of course they have all the classic albums before Roots, but Roots is the one that kind of, you know, caught my attention and really got me over, over the top with them. And so that, like, like you said, that'd be even killer to see both of them together. Cause remember we saw Megadeth and Slayer do that years ago. That's right. Megadeth and Megadeth was doing Rest in Peace in its entirety on the same bill as Slayer doing Seasons of the Abyss. Which is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, even my poor mom and dad, I think they had Roots memorized by heart. <laughs> I played it so loud, so much coming from my room. Yeah. You know, even they had to have it, you know, ingrained in their brains. That was just such a monumental record for me at that time and I, I just I over and over I listened to it it was such a great CD yeah so I don't know when they're supposed to announce dates or whatever but hopefully I, soon I think it said fall so it might not okay. be, it might not be a while but you never know yep we'll see we'll have to just see yeah well we uh wanted to talk about something that was uh, local to us yeah on the local tip Yes, we know some people are listening to us that aren't here, and then we've got a lot of listeners that are in our area. So there's a a new group that have formed that you know could kind of be can you know considered a super group of Oklahoma metal musicians. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. <laughs> you know, there's bands Blackwater Rebellion, The Joint Effect, even The Dogs, and King Shifter. King Shifter's not an Oklahoma band. But their former vocalist Sprout is from Oklahoma. Yes, I don't know if he's from. He's not from Oklahoma, but he lives in Oklahoma. Yes. And speaking of, we had him on a, an episode way back. He was yes a past yeah. podcast guest. Go so, look that one up. Yeah, look it up. It was a great episode. He's a cool dude. Had a lot, a lot of cool stuff to say. So that's definitely one I would like you to go check out. Well, they formed this group with two of the you know with John Halata and Anthony Hutton, who are both in Joint Effect. And Anthony was also in Even the Dogs. And like we said, Mike Starkey, who was in who was in Blackwater Rebellion, playing bass. Bass, bass right? And, Sorry. Uh, yeah. You know, they're still going, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh and of course Sprout on vocals. So I know you checked this out. They had an acoustic show recently. We didn't get the chance to make it, but they have some videos up online. Yeah, on their Facebook. Uh, you know, just go to Facebook and uh search Screaming Red Mutiny, come right up. And they've got a some acoustic stuff, uh, some clips from their show. Uh, you know, I, it's it's early to tell. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, you've got to think coming from these great bands, the sound is just going to be, you know, there's heavy and there's going to be some groove, you know, some soul going on. Uh, so we're really looking forward to seeing these guys full on. And, uh, you know, I'd love to get them on the podcast. You know, we've had Sprout 
and we've talked about getting Mike Starkey and John Alotta, so we need to get this going. Uh, and uh, just, uh, I think we're going to see good things from this band for sure. Yeah, and it's just a cool, you know, John and, and Sprout, you know, you can think in your head that worked great together because, you know, I mean, we've seen Sprout on stage with him. Yes. And it's like they both have that soulful, you know, groovy, you know, dark kind of metal yeah. essence to both, you know, their, their playing and their in his vocals. Yeah. And <clears throat> dude, we saw a lot at that Delacoma show and that guy can shred, man. Oh yeah. That guy's an amazing guitar player. Yeah. And then you, you know, you bring in Mike from Blackwater Rebellion, which is a little bit different style of metal, but it's still, you know, obviously going to fit well. And I mean, these are all accomplished dudes. They've all been playing around the scene for years. And, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing and seeing a full on show from this band, you know, so hopefully it's sooner sooner than later right? yes definitely but be on the lookout yep all right we want to play another song for you and this is a band out of germany and it's another just like the road vikings it's another trio and they are called torpedo head and the name of the song is get off my back
All right, get off my back from Torpedo Head out of Germany. And I'm half German myself, so I, <laughs> you know, I could very much feel this in my soul. Right. It, it no. spoke to you, huh? Yeah. In your veins. <laughs> this band, they've been around for a while now. And I know they, I know they have another, they have a full album, a couple EPs out. This song's brand new from, I think they released it in January. And they've got music forthcoming this year. Okay. And they're very much, I would describe them with that term, punk and roll. Yeah, we okay. used, I can get that. That we used for like Slumlord Radio in the past. You know, that that vibe where it's like, you hear a lot of elements of punk. You hear a lot of elements of, you know, that classic, you know, just that motorhead kind of thing. And then you hear elements of just like, the sleazy stuff too. Yeah. It's like a little, you know, and even, you know, it's like a classic seventies vibe, like an air, you know, old Aerosmith or something mixed with like, you know, backyard babies or LA guns or something. And yeah. it's just, you know, a lot of attitude, but a lot of, you know, just straight ahead rock with that, you know, just that, you know, that essence of the, where it's real loose, you know. Yeah. It's a trio, so, you know, I mean, you can get that, but. Yeah, it had a, yeah, I like that you said sleaze. It kind of had that sleazy vibe going, which is always good. Uh, you know, you can get into that. And like you said, it's a trio. It was uh, just raw, you know, no frills kind of thing like we talk about. Uh, so that that was a cool track for sure. Yeah, I definitely want to delve more into these these guys. I listened to like four or five songs after i listen to this one it's all great stuff and you know hopefully you know like i say about a lot of these bands out of the country hopefully we can see them someday in america and you know it's the type of thing that you know would do good you know in a in a rowdy bar you know yeah it would and <laughs> that's the thing that's one of the reasons we like doing this just to uh you know get their names out there and uh, get them uh, some more exposure yeah, hit him up on Facebook, Torpedo Head. Which is a cool fucking name, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, recently this tour was announced that it's one of those moments when you read something and you're like, what the fuck did I just read? You go, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, I just, I'm like, did I really read that? I looked at it twice, three times, and I'm like, this this doesn't make sense, you know? <laughs> Well, there's this new tour called I don't know if I don't know if that's the name of the tour or the name of what their collective is, you know, whatever. It's called Generation Axe. Yeah. Featuring five guitarists who are, you know, known for years as being amazing guitarists. Of course. Yes. Steve Vai, Ingve Malmstein, Nuno Betancourt, Zach Wild, and Tosin Abasi. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. I think so. <laughs> and right off the bat, you know, of course, Tosin's the one I know the least about. Yeah, me too, admittedly. I mean, I've listened to, he's from Animals as Leaders. I've listened to it before, but it's just not something, you know, admittedly that I've got into, you know, or really tried, you know, I, it's not, it's for a lack of trying, basically, you know. But. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it's, it's not completely my bag. I mean... And that doesn't mean anything because I, I've checked this guy out. I've watched just him playing guitar, like videos just of solo. 
of Tosinabasi. This guy is a monster. He plays this gigantic fucking eight-string guitar. And I think the reason is it's like, it's kind of over my head. Like, I I'm, I need to be smarter to listen to this shit. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just a, you know, 4-4, four, four, you know, turn it up and go kind of guy. And I just, this stuff is, is just, it's so intricate and it's so well-crafted and just talented. I mean, just just watch some videos and y- your head will spin. <laughs> well, next up is Yngwie Malmsteen. Yes. And everybody knows who that is. And he's kind of another one of those guys that, you know, he has like this massive fan base that will look at him as the greatest guitarist that ever lived. Definitely. And other people like us that never really got into it. Yeah. And I'll be the first to admit, I've heard a bunch of his stuff and it's cool as hell. But it's not anything that just resonates with me. Yeah. And it's one of those, you know, things that, you know, anytime I talk about it, it's like, the guy's obviously amazing at what he does. But it's like, Slash, who's one of my favorite guitarists, Ingve could probably run circles around him, but Slash has something Ingve doesn't, and that's called soul. <laughs> Slash, man. Tone City. <laughs> yeah. Tone City. That's hard to match. <laughs> well, you know, that being said, I'd love to see Ingve live, you know, just for the experience of it. Definitely. You know. Then we've got Zach Wild. Oh, man. Who, you know, there's not really much to say. Anyone that knows us knows we're big fanboys of Zach Wild. Yes. Always have been at every level. Ozzy, Pride and Glory, the solo album, and of course, Black Level Society. That's right. You know, so you can't go wrong with him at any point. Anytime he plays a solo live, it's badass. Pretty much anything on record's badass. You know, it's just, and it's funny. He's the, he's the one that of the five people kind of, at first when you look at it, doesn't really fit. I get that you know style know wise. I, mean? I guess, yeah. you know, because he's a little more. You know, I don't know the right guitar speak, but a little more. Not as intricate, I guess. Is that the right? Th- I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he he's he's intricate, but he he's more just balls. Yeah, just balls out and just just passion. Uh, that's what I think. Is as far as you know, he just hangs it out there, and I think that's that's his calling card, and that's what makes him him. So you know, uh, it, but I I get that that. Because you can see a bossy and Vi maybe jamming on something or whatever. But to see, like, you know, uh, to see uh, Toast and Bossy and Zach Wilde going off on something, it's going to be like, <laughs> how the hell are they going to wrangle that around and get that going? I don't know. Right. So I kind of see what you're saying about that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that, and we, you know, we're going to get to those two guys in a minute because we're going to talk a little more in depth about it. Yes. But. You know, you mentioned them, you know, playing together and playing off each other. That's what this whole tour is, basically, is... Yeah, that's... Yeah, they're going to do stuff together and different pairings and whatnot. Yeah, they des- described it like, I guess, each guy might play a little bit on his own, like his own stuff, and then then they said there'd be different groupings, like two guys or three guys. Yeah. And then I guess at the end, all five of them are going to perform as a band, which is kind of mind... Hard to wrap your head around that at all. Yeah, yeah, we, we've got to go to this, man. Yeah. We've got to go to this. Yeah, it's generationax.com. The, all the dates are on there. And we're, 
you know, there's three of them that are close to us, but we're looking at maybe doing one the one in Kansas because it's a Saturday. Yeah, it's on a weekend. So hopefully we can pull that off. Yeah. Because this is one of those things where it's kind of a, I think I wrote that when we were talking about it online, like it's a once in a lifetime kind of thing because, you know, you're never going to see those five guys on a stage again together. No, Even uh, if they did a tour like this later, it'd probably be a different grouping. Yeah, one guy would be different yeah. and whatever. And I mean, it kind of also harkens back to the G3 things where there was, yes, you know, it was three of them and it was the same kind of concept where they would each do their own thing and then they would come out together and play off each other. Yeah. And man, those were ones we always talked about going, but we never had the chance to go to any of those. Yeah. It was always Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, and somebody else. I think Ingve like, was involved Yngwie with one. Ingve did one. Paul Gilbert did one. John Eric, Petrucci did one. Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. That would have been the one I would want to go to for sure. Uh, so, but that, I think that brings us, that could bring us into the next, the last two guys that's going to be on this bill is Steve Vai right. and Nuno Betancourt. Uh, Steve Vai is just, I mean, where do we start with that guy? Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, we can start with passion and warfare. I oh guess. man. <laughs> well, epic. I mean, obviously he, before, you know, he became the Steve Vai that everybody knows as the amazing guitarist is, well, I mean, he was already an amazing guitarist, but he was in. White Snake and then David Lee Ross band. Yeah, I played with Frank and, Zappa even before that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, so by the time he went out on his own, he was already accomplished and everybody knew how great this guy was. And actually, I think he was still in White Snake when Passion and Warfare came out. Okay. Because I know that there was a live album that came out a few years ago, White Snake, like at Donington or something. And for his solo, he's playing The Audience is Listening. Oh, okay. Which is pretty cool. But. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I heard or saw that video for the audience is listening. I was yeah. like, what in the hell, you know? <laughs> and and then even then, you know, I mean, I, you know, I love that album like everybody did. He's kind of the, you know, the, the, at least what I can think of that I, that I know, he's kind of the first guy that had a instrumental album like that, that kind of resonated with mainstream rock fans. Yes. Not. Not just chiefly musicians or guitar players. Right. Yeah. And obviously the MTV helped, you know, mm -hmm. the exposure on there, I'm sure, helped with that. And I know that, you know, from then on, you got way more into him than I did. Oh, man. As, as a guitarist. Oh, yeah. And admittedly, I've, I've listened to everything he's ever released since then. But it's kind of one of those things I listen to it once and then... I might go back later and every six months I'll get on a kick where I'll listen to Vire Satriani, you know, for a few days. Yeah. But it's just one of those things I'm just, it's when I'm in a mood for it. But I know after Passion Warfare, the Sex and Religion album. That was a good one. And Alien Love Secrets were the two that I really, yeah, that really hit me. You know, I mean, of course the Sex and Religion one was a little bit different as with Devin Townsend. Yeah, that was more of a band. Yeah, singing on every song. Yeah, so that that's probably why it kind of jumped out to me as my favorite. But Alien Love Secrets was really badass. That was what that was the EP though, right? Yeah. But, but still, you know, like Bad Horsey and all that stuff. You know, it's just an yeah, amazing gack. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that was more of a just kind of a stripped down, just uh, heavier thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and you can't forget about Fire Garden. Oh, right. That was epic because 
you had the first, I think it was a double album or the first part of the album was all instrumental. And then the second one, the second part, he sang on a lot of it. Right. It had little alligators and uh, that was on the radio. That was a great song. Steve Vai, for me, has just been such a joy to be a fan of over the years. He, he's got such a, a bright... There's so much color in his music, and it's never it's never stale, and there's never anything that's like, eh, you know. I mean, it's always just bombastic, and it's he, he's over the top. He's flamboyant in his look and his sound, and it's just... He's so... Just the talent oozes out of this guy. It's just such a joy to watch him. Um, I think uh, he, he did an album... Uh, he did a live album, Alive in an Ultra World. Oh, you yeah. remember that where he he wrote he wrote songs about a, a city or a country, and then he went and played those songs in that city or country and, and record. I mean, just these these epic, just out of the box ideas that could only come from him, and it it was amazing. It, uh, there was just some great songs that came out of that one. I like the uh, the DVD he did a few years ago with the the violin players. Oh, where the wild things are. That yes, where the wild things are. Yeah. I mean, just I mean, you could just go on and on. I mean, uh, yeah, I watched sound that. Theories. Like, There's just uh, so much stuff this guy's doing. Yeah, that where the wild things are. It's a lot more obviously style. You know, that more laid back. Yeah, but it's just just one of those things you can't take your eyes off it. You know, or no, your ears no. off it, basically, because it's just. No matter what style of rock he's playing, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, he he's got such a a distinct sound, and uh, it's it's amazing how it, everything is so accurate. He he's got that he's got that technicality and just the the geekery and the the talent down, but he's full of so much soul and passion that it, it just when both of those come together, it's it's unmatched, I think. It is absolutely unmatched. And, side note, uh, since we were talking about Sepultura earlier, oh, uh, yeah. there's a uh, video out there, uh, YouTube it. Uh, it was from the that Rock and Rio USA thing they did over the summer. Right. I think in Vegas. And uh, during Sepultura's set, uh, Steve Vai came out, and they did Bad Horsey, and, uh, and they also did Roots. Which just, which is amazing. <laughs> I mean, Steve Vai's jamming with Sepultura on Roots. That's the thing. This guy does everything. Like uh, it doesn't. That's another thing that does. You can't even wrap your head around how that would sound until you watch it. And you're like, well, and it's okay. Amazing. It worked. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I mean, yeah, we can't say enough about. You know, we're we're uh, super amped to see Steve Vai again for sure. Yeah, and we got to see him live just about, was that two years ago probably yeah, now? Yeah, and and, that was that was epic. And it's just one of those things where it's like you you think, and he plays like a full-on two-plus hours, two yeah. and a half hours. Yeah. And it's, you think you see a guy playing for two and a half hours just instrumental, you're going to get to points where you're like, ah, oh, come on. But you don't. You don't. It's just like seeing a band that you know every song from, <clears> even <throat> if you didn't know every song from him, you just get lost in it. And yeah. It, and if, you know, you look at your watch and it's been an hour and a half, you're like, holy shit, you know? Yeah, I mean... It, it was it was such an uplifting thing, uh, the live experience. I remember, you know, I was going through some stuff at that time, 
And he, you know, after the first couple songs, he said, hey, you know, we're just going to forget all your problems, forget everything that's going on right now, and let's just get into this moment and have fun. And kind of choked me up a little bit, you know. I mean, and that's just a testament to how uplifting uh, and, like, colorful his music is. So, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, I don't know what more I can say without sounding like a huge geek that more so than I already have, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> well, we we had talked about on an early episode as well that, you know, you probably know by now that there's supposed to be at least one show or they haven't really said several shows where he's reforming with yes. the David Lee Roth band. That's right. Which would be another thing that would be amazing to see with him and Sheenan, Greg Bissonette, and of course, DLR. Yeah. So, I mean, just to see those guys back together again. And you probably would never see again. Oh, yeah. I'm sure this is a one-off thing. Oh, it's yeah. the 30th anniversary of the first album. Well, that leaves us with the final member of this five-man extravaganza. Yes. Well, there's more than five men. You know, there's obviously a bass player and a drummer, but the point of this is the <laughs> axe, right? Generation axe. There, there you go. Which is Nuno Betancourt. Nuno's always been one of my... I wouldn't say he's in my top three or four guitarists, but he's always been one of my favorite guitarists throughout the years. Yeah. And even though pretty much anyone that follows hard rock knows who Nuno Betancourt is, I still consider him one of the most underrated guitarists ever. Yeah, he is quite underrated. I agree. Especially being the fact that, you know, I mean, his everybody knows Nuno because of Extreme. And Extreme's one of those bands that got, you know, tossed aside by a lot of people because of their hit. Their one, you know, their major hit that kind of overshadowed everything else was more than words. And, of course, that's not, you don't hear any crazy guitar work in that. <laughs> no. I mean, it is, uh, you know, great guitar-wise, but in right. a different kind of, you know, vibe. And, uh, you know, in that and Wholehearted, it kind of set a thing, you know, they were one of those bands like Winger and Mr. Big, where people just kind of looked at them with those, you know, those kind of, those ballads that defined them. Yeah. And... Just like those two bands, Extreme was filled with four phenomenal musicians, you know? Yeah. You know, everything Extreme has ever done, to me, has been great. Even, you know, Waiting for the Punchline, you know, I don't really listen to it much, but even that is great, you know? And then um, they released like seven or eight years ago now. Oh, Sal Dodge Day Rock? Yeah. That was a great yeah. record. And God, that has some good songs on it. Take Us Alive. Fuck. Oh, yeah. Take Us Alive. That uh, That's my favorite song from the album. Yeah. What, what's the other one? Uh, something King of the Ladies or something? Oh, I forgot about God, that. I'm fucking that all up, but it's yeah. a great song. It's a great album. King of the Ladies, King, Comfortably yeah. Dumb, Star. I remember just... Star. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. But we... You know, we got to see Extreme... What year was that? 92... 93, early on. Yes, in Mohawk Park. Yeah, early on in our concert going live. Yeah, that was a great show. And yeah, that was just great because that was off the Three Sides to Every Story album, which, you know, to me, it's their best album by far. Yeah, I, I agree. The two that precede it are great and amazing, and they have a lot of great stuff on there. <clears throat> but when it comes to a whole album, that's just, it's like a concept album, and it's just perfect, you know? Yeah, and it's also... That that album is kind of like them going. This is who we are. Right. This this is us. Use this to describe us. And they did it, you know, pretty early on in their career while they were still having radio success, which was a ballsy move. And it didn't it didn't really 
bite him in the ass. They had, you know, uh, rest, rest in peace and, uh, Cupid's not Cupid's stop the stop, stop the, the world, world was on yeah. the radio a lot. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, and then after that, it's kind of when all that fizzled, fizzled because of the, you know, the change in the times basically. But I mean, which, I mean, kind of losing my train here of thought, but what's your favorite Nuno work besides three sides to every story? Well, I like, I like the first album, you know, that had, uh, uh, Mother Don't Want to Go to School Today. And oh, yeah. Just, uh... Kid Ego? Kid Ego. That had, some, that had some really cool guitar work on it. That's some great stuff going on that on that record. Uh, and I also like um, his solo album that he did. Oh, yeah. In the late 90s. It's called Schizoph- Schizophonic. Schizophonic. Uh, it had, um, you know, the Disneyland and Gravity and uh, Crave... Uh, and, Man, I haven't listened to that. Yeah, Swollen Princess. Since back then, Damn. yeah, that was just a great album. It was, it was like, it, it had this. It was this. He recorded it on his little uh, portable recorder and just in, in hotel rooms when he was on tour with Extreme in the the later days of Extreme. You know, the first time before they broke up, or you know, went on hiatus or whatever. And it's just kind of got this like. Um, you know, it has some alternative leanings, you know, that were kind of, you know, the style there in the 90s, uh, the late 90s. But but then he would just, you know, rip into a guitar solo and just, you know, shred your balls off. Right. Or you'd go into something like Crave, which was just, just straight up serving the song, all about the songwriting. And that was genius, too. And, and he's a great singer, uh, way better singer than a lot of people know. Uh, so I mean, yeah, and then of course, uh, South Dodge Day Rock from you know seven eight years ago. That was that was such a fun record. Uh, so yeah, I mean this guy, this guy, he's fast. He's flurrying. He plays that cool fucking natural wood Washburn guitar. Uh, I mean, what's not to love about this guy's playing? You know, and then he can do the he can do the soulful stuff and the slow stuff and the emotional stuff. I mean, you know, he can do it all, and uh, I really wish he... I'm glad he's on something like this to get... He needs more uh, recognition and credit in this kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's, you know, because he, he's one of those people... Like I said, he's just underrated, you know? He's oh, not, man, yeah. When you think of, hey, we're going to put five guys together, virtuoso-style guitarist, you would think Nuno should be there, but he never is. Yeah. So it's awesome that he is, you yeah. know? And you mentioned that first album. What about the last track, Play With Me? Oh, man. That is just unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, that is. Yes, that is. You're right. Bill you're and right. Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, yeah. I, I fell asleep on that one. You got me. <laughs> no, that's yeah, what's true. playing whenever all the shit's going to hell in the mall and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just a the solo in that song is, you know, one of his best ever. Yeah. And then on the, you know, their biggest album, Porn or Graffiti, you know, decadence dance. Oh man, get the funk out. Yeah, um, little Susie wants her all day. What? You know, <laughs> just that whole thing, you know. And they they didn't make bad music ever, you know. No, no, they didn't. And I'm I would hope, you know, it's been a while. I haven't really heard anything if they're going to do another album at some point or what. But I sure hope so. I gotta say, I've got a story. We well, we didn't mention first off that I've seen him. Since then, we saw him at the second 
the second Rocklahoma. Yes. And that was badass. Oh yeah, that was that was epic. And then we saw him at Rocklahoma in twenty was that last year or two years ago? Twenty fourteen, I'm pretty sure. And it's, you know, kind of noted in the history of Extreme as being the worst gig they ever did. I think one of them said that online. I don't know. Yeah, I think Eddie but, Trunk said one of them said it was their worst yeah. gig ever. And it, you know, and it really was. It was a great show up until the last 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't know that story, I guess Nuno was having, you know, troubles with the sound or something. He was trying to relay something to the their sound guy and... He just got pissed off and threw his guitar down and, and then walked off the stage. And then um, I think he came back. You know, I think one time he walked off, came back, and then when he threw the guitar down, he left for good. And then Gary Sharon tried to keep it going, and he made some comment. He's like, all right, I guess, you know, you know, let's keep this going. And it was just the bass and drums, yeah. and they were singing Get the Funk Out, having the crowd sing it, and he was just kind of <laughs> looking back every once in a while. And then whenever... That didn't happen. He just walked off the stage. Yeah. And then that left Pat Dra- uh, Pat Badger and Mike Mangini up there playing. Mike Mangini. Oh, Mike Mangini, sorry. <laughs> K-Fig, yo. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, this isn't 1997. <laughs> what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. I, I think, and also, I mean, maybe this is me. I, I, w- I would have hoped the crowd would have been more accepting before all that. But I think, you know, they, they were the last-minute fill-in for Motorhead. Oh, and yeah. didn't they go on, like, after Black Label Society? Yeah. It was... So everyone was pumped up in that kind of in that kind of vibe. And, you know, Extreme is a little bit more of a, you know, diverse kind of hard rock. So it was, uh, it was just a weird slot, and the crowd was kind of weird, I'd noticed. And then those sound issues didn't help, and then it just melted down at the end. It would have worked if they were in Europe. But. Yes, but <laughs> but you know what? One bad gig and uh, thousands that they've done, who cares? Yeah. You, you, you got a story to tell. Oh, yeah. So you got to see something unique. So I didn't take anything bad away from it. Yeah, well, I've got another story to tell. Tell before. it. Um, many years ago, I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2007. I went to South by Southwest. Oh, this is that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Tom Morello was playing at, you know, one of the, one of the clubs there and it was, he was doing his, what's it called? The Watchman. Yeah. And, uh, it's something I'd thought about seeing, but I was kind of a ways off and, you know, if you've never been to South by Southwest, you can make plans, but they all go to shit because there's literally hundreds of bands playing every night and you, you know, you inevitably see something or hear something cool and get off schedule, but Anyway, um, our friend Tommy had sent me a message and said, "Hey, you got to get over here to this Tom Morello show." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm. I respect the guy; he's great." But I was never a big Rage fan. I'm not. Yeah. I don't, you know, really care, you know, to say the least. That'd be cool if I was over there. But he's like, "No, just get over here. I promise you, you'll be happy that you came over here." And I was like, "All right, you know, I'll believe him." And you know, Tommy doesn't lie to me, you know. On stuff like that, he yeah. lies about other stuff. But <laughs> but anyway, I get over there, and Tom Morello, you know, starts playing. And he's like, hey, I'm going to bring out a friend. And I don't remember who he brought out first. But a friend turned into friends, and he brought out Les Claypool. Wow. Then he brought out Perry Farrell. Then he brought out Nuno Betancourt. Then he brought out Wayne Kramer. And he brought out Slash. Holy shit. 
and all these guys on the same stage at the same time. They played like, I remember they played The Mountain Song by Jane's Addiction. They played This Land Is Your Land. They played, uh, um, what's the big uh, MC5 song? Oh, Kick Out The Jams, yeah, motherfucker. Kick Out The Jams. You know, just, and that's another thing. All these guys, you don't, don't go together at all, you know? And when they you, were, yeah. When you think of, when you think of all those guys as individuals, but it was just this unbelievably cool experience, you know, that obviously happened once and probably never happened again. Wow. And you saw it. Yeah. So I saw mean, it from like five feet away. And, and I bet your head exploded. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, do we have any, anything else we want to say about these guys before we move along now just that this is a you know we really focused on this for this episode and we wanted to that's it's going to be a great tour and we got to go we yeah. got to go yeah and another thing to point out is nuno you know i follow him on facebook and stuff and he seems ex- like an extremely humble dude for mm-hmm. as amazingly talented as he is yeah <laughs> and he's always posting stuff you know you know throughout his travels like if he's with playing with or seeing someone that, you know, one of his idols or something, you know, and you can tell the guy's truly just still a fan of music. Yeah. And, you know, of course he's out touring now with Rihanna, which has caught him a lot of crap from some people, but, you know, I don't blame the guy. The a guy's, gig's a gig, man. And he's making shitloads of money doing it, I'm sure. That's so. right. Which, by the way, remember that time that Gary Sharon and was on the Eddie Trunk show and they called... They called him at like four in the morning and wherever he was, somewhere in Europe. Germany, I think. Yeah, and was giving him shit for playing with Rihanna. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Woke him up. Right. <laughs> well, I think the last thing we were going to talk about was on the last episode, we mentioned the Chicago Open Air Festival. Yeah. Which just got announced about a month ago and the they announced Rammstein as the the first headliner, and then they just recently announced the rest of the lineup. And yeah, we were, the whole thing's out now. Yeah, we were kind of speculating on what it might be like, and we knew some of the bands that were going to be on there were your standard American festival bands. Yeah. But I was kind of hoping the the whole bottom end of it would be kind of differentiate itself since they were you know using that term open air. Yeah, and I think it kind of did. I mean, they've got their in this moments and your five finger nut punch and your, <laughs> your, uh, slip knots and stuff. But you've also got some stuff like helmet and Gojira and carcass and Meshuggah. Yeah. Corrosion uh, of conformity. Yeah. Corrosion of conformity. So, uh, I, I can see a little bit of, uh, what they're trying to do. It's pretty cool. Well, yeah, it seems, well, it seems like the other thing is these, a lot of these festivals are, you know, run by the same company. So they obviously, yeah. Have a lot of the same bands. You know, there'll be a few here and there that, you know, are different on each festival. For the most part, it's the same core bands. But it looked like a lot of the bands, even though they're bands that have been on these other festivals, they're not on them this year. Yeah. You know, because you had like Kill Switch Engage and Upon a Burning Body and, you know, a few bands like uh, All That Remains that I don't think were on a lot of these festivals this year. Yeah. You know, so they, they did differentiate themselves in that way. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, the heavy MTO or heavy Montreal or whatever it is. Yes, exactly. Like they do. They always have a few of the standard big bands at the top, and then they have a lot of the, you know, heavier stuff and less popular stuff on the lower end, which is just, you know, kind of cool. 
Yeah. I just, you know, I wish more of these festivals would differentiate themselves from each other, but I understand why they don't because they just scatter them out the country so they each get their bad areas of the country's fans to come into it. You know? That's right. That's right. But I don't know. I think with our local festival, Rocklahoma, we're pretty lucky on the, the lineup seems to be pretty good. Oh, yeah. We're definitely lucky. Yeah. You've got everything from, you know, Devil Driver to the Scorpions. Oh, yeah. You know? So, I mean, what's not the love? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we we got it. I think so. I think yeah. so. You did good today. I'm proud of you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, once again, the thunderunderground.com. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. That's all the Thunder Underground. We're on Twitter, T-H-N-D-R-U-N-D-R Ground. And all the past podcasts are on soundcloud.com backslash thunder-underground. They're also all embedded on the podcast section of thethunderunderground.com. And like I mentioned earlier, we're now on Periscope at Thunder Underground. That's right. So follow us on there so you get the little alert when we're live. That's right. You never know. We might turn it on when we're like driving to work one morning. Yeah. You know, eating a sausage biscuit. Why not? Hell yeah. It's the inner workings, people. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time. (laughs) 